What actually is an air gap? Is it even possible with backup stored on disk or in the cloud? Your backup product says that your backups are air gapped. By what standard can you even judge that statement? The answer to all of these questions goes back to my earliest days as a backup admin back in the early 90s. You know, back when we had an actual air gap. Once you know what a true air gap was like, I think I can explain how to use that as a standard to judge the virtual air gaps we have today. Hi, I'm W. Curtis Preston, AKA Mr. Backup. I've been a backup admin, consultant, analyst, and even a backup product evangelist. Backup is kind of my thing, and backup folks are my people. This podcast turns unappreciated backup admins into cyber recovery heroes. This is the Backup Wrap-Up. Welcome to the show and thanks for joining. Conmigo como siempre está mi bueno amigo Prasana Maliandi. How's it going, Prasana? Hola, Curtis. Como esta? <laughs> I've been practicing my Spanish, as you know. Si, es muy bien. So, so for those that don't know what I said, I just said with me, as always, is my friend, Prasanna Maliandi, who's been encouraging me in my language attempt. I'm spending a lot of time on the past tense uh, and also on uh, birthdays <laughs> and ordering food. And, ordering food uh, is important, you know? Ordering, for, yeah. The next, the next lesson is about um, uh, renting a car. Ah, <laughs> so, there you go. Also very important. As you can see, they they tend to uh, focus on things that you might do while while traveling, which is good, but, right? Because um, it's important to have those skills. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I want to jump right into our news section, and I, and I I want to thank you. You found this story. And it's from the National Cybersecurity Center, that's center with an R-E, in uh, the UK. <laughs> um, that and, should have given um, it away. It's either going to be the UK or ca Canada. So one of the two. Yeah. Uh, well, it could, it could be Australia. Yeah. You know, could be that. But they put out, um, they have some new principles to make cloud backups more resilient. Why do you, why do you think they would have done that? Uh, because there's a lot of issues going around right now with uh, people storing data in the cloud, uh, but it's still being exposed either due to security issues or just improperly securing it such that when you get hit by ransomware, they go and yeah. trash your backups and now you have nothing you can restore from. I think it goes back to what we've always talked about, Curtis, which is everyone thinks the cloud is magical and it's just going to alleviate right. all their problems. I actually think that the cloud is like the best place where you can put your backups and we could, I, I'd love to have somebody on that thinks that that, well, I, I'm, st I'm sticking with that. Uh, it is a and, and good place to myself. Put. Yes. I think it's the best place, uh, you know, with, with caveats, but, but, but it is not magic. Um, it does allow you to do things that simply aren't possible in a data center, which is why I have that opinion. But it, I'm talking about like cloud DR and stuff like that, yeah. but it's not magic and you have to, and I'm, I'm really glad to see them 
sort of acknowledge that and to give specific guidance on the use of cloud for back, cloud for backups. Yep. Now, you know, throw out, throw out your, what, what's your thing? What, what are you saying? You're like, <laughs> so, you don't, you don't agree with me. That it's the best place for backups. So I agree as long as you're okay. If you need to pull the data back down, for example, in your home, right? I know mm -hmm. we've talked about this. You have issues running into your data cap limit, mm -hmm. right? At home. Imagine mm -hmm. if you had something happened, you need to download all your data from the cloud because that's the only place you have mm -hmm. your data. One, how long would it take you? Two, how many times would you end up hitting your data cap limit, data usage limit mm -hmm. with your mm -hmm. provider? And mm -hmm. is that reasonable for keeping your only copy in the cloud? I, that's why I think there are cases where cloud is perfect for keeping a copy right. because it is offsite, right? You don't have to worry about it. It's all there. It's really low cost. But I think for important data and other things like that, it might be beneficial to keep something local as well. That was my only point. You said the best place for backup. After everything you just said, I'm sticking by my statement. I never, and I never said, don't have another copy. Yeah. I'm just saying, if I if I was picking one and only one place, okay, which I don't think you should do, but if I was picking one and only one place, I would much rather have it in the cloud than on a device sitting next to my computer uh, in. or in a disk drive, <laughs> right? Plugged in, all that, all that stuff, right? Yeah. I would just and and I, and I am thinking a lot about home users there. Yeah, I really feel this way for home users, and uh, the bigger you get, the the more challenging it becomes, but the and again, I don't have any issue with having a local copy for quick restores. I just really think, like again, if I only had one, only having a local copy is a really bad idea. I agree. So with having you. a I we want a remote copy, yeah. And I think that that remote copy should be in the cloud. I do not think it should be disks in a disk array you know, in your data center. We can talk about, you know, again, I, I'm pro tape. I, I like tape. Uh, again, I wouldn't mind it being one of the copies. Yeah. I hope you don't need to use it because it's going to take a while to get it back. Yeah. But uh, so, so, so we're okay, on the I'm same good. page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm good now. Okay. All right. Just want to make sure so that anyone is, listening does not think yeah. that Mr. Backup that is not, yeah, is just saying just go to the cloud for everything. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. Um, I'm not against local copies. Um, I just, I'm against that as your only option. Yep. And when, yeah, okay. Um, so, and of all the options, I still prefer the the remote. Yep. Again, I still think it's the best option. All of the options have downsides. Yep. Right. But the downside to the cloud, if done right, which is what this article mm -hmm. is about is that at least it wouldn't get deleted on you. Yeah. Right. But, but like the, the local one, it could also be done poorly, which is what this article is about. So this is a, this is an interesting, uh, so let's just review real quick. Cause it's, it's, it's kind of, we're, we're going to come back to that. They have five principles for ransomware resilient cloud backups. The first principle is it should be resilient to destructive actions. Right. Yep. I, I like Duh. that. Right. Um, yep. that, yeah. <laughs> That, that you should, that deletions shouldn't really be deletions. There should be soft delete and things like that. A yeah. backup system should should be configured so that it's it's not possible to deny all customer access. So if you lose your internet service, right? We'll come back to that. 
Yeah, we'll come back to that. But basically, when your infrastructure is down, um, it, it shouldn't rely on your infrastructure to get in that. This We have talked about this in that I do think that your authentication authorization system for your backup system should be separate. Yeah. Uh, principle three, the service allows a customer to restore from a backup version, even if later versions become corrupted. This, I mean, this should be... Uh, this is what backups are. You should always go back to previous versions. But I think, again, this is talking about bad design. In previous episodes, we've talked about the difference between uh, um, replication. And one of the problems with replication is that the, the backup becomes corrupted. I think what they're saying here is, yeah, it's nice to have a copy in the cloud, but if that copy gets corrupted, hopefully you have other versions of that. Uh, for robust key management for data at rest, uh, yes, I'm with that. Encryption, encryption, encryption. The three rules of cloud backups. Uh, and then also alerts uh, triggered if significant changes are made. I like that a lot. Yeah. I we're think gonna, we're going to come back to this. Yeah. What? Go ahead. Yeah. No, I I was reading it. I was like, that's a lot of what we talked about, but also some bits that we don't always talk about on the podcast. I know maybe when we had snorkel 42, we might have touched on some of these, yeah. but yeah, yeah, it was a good yeah. list. And the other thing I liked about this article is they also split it out into sort of, sort of how do you deal with ransomware? Like how do you build your mm -hmm. infrastructure? And then also a lot of times we struggle because sometimes it's, hey, for enterprises, you have all the budget, you have all the tools, you have all the resources, like people and expertise, but smaller businesses, you don't. And so as part of the set of articles, they also published one for like SMBs and how to protect your environment. Right. Yeah. And speaking of which, um, they said that this article, it specifically said, we're not going to tell you how to back up, right? They're just saying there are a bunch of different ways to get a copy in the cloud. They're just saying, if you're going to have a copy in the cloud, you need to make sure that it is protected. It's resilient against ransomware attacks because as we have often <laughs> mentioned, the, your backups are just as big a target, if not a bigger yep. target than the, your primary copy. In fact, the, you know, I, I mentioned it on a blog I wrote the other day was that that, that Veeam uh, survey that, you know, I called the Veeam survey, but they actually, uh, and I don't think we explained enough when we did the episode on it, that it was a double blind survey uh, of like a thousand companies, I think. And they said that, uh, and they weren't, it, I, I, I think I may have assumed that it was Veeam customers, it wasn't Veeam customers, that it was something like uh, that backups were targeted in like 85% mm. of the attacks. So, You've got to do this, and that is we're going to make a, a quick switch. Uh, we're, we're going to we're going to call that the news section, <laughs> and that's the news. And then we're going to just move right into what I wanted to talk about. It just it, it's you know I, we were looking for news articles, and you found this article, and it's absolutely perfect for what I wanted to talk about on this episode. We've talked about this before, but I want to talk about it in a different way now, and that is this concept of air gap. So I wanted to take people, especially people like you, Persona, that, back in the day, <laughs> that never that never touched the tape. Uh, you know, you never fired a tape in anger. To, to back when we had an actual air gap, the the term has a very specific definition, a history, a connotation. 
and it comes from back in the day. So again, for those of you that are that are in IT and you're, you know, maybe you've grown up in this world of disk only backups. That is a lot of you. <laughs> and so I wanted to just give you a like a a lesson of what it was like to do backups back in in the in the mid nineties. <laughs> well, I, yeah. what were you what were you doing in the mid nineties, Persona? I might have been in elementary school. <laughs> elementary school? No, probably middle school. That's great. Yeah, that's great. Uh, well, it's okay. I'm 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 feeling I'm actually feeling young today because I was talking to uh, our friend of the pod, Stuart, and he was telling me how he joined the Air Force. Like he enlisted in the Air Force the day before his draft number was called, mm. um, and so which means he is a lot older than me. Is all you just need to hang around with people who are older than you all the time, and that way you always feel young. That's why I hang out with you, Curtis. Feel young, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> nice, nice. I see what you did there. Let me go back to the you know back to the time. <laughs> And what we had at our at our sort of technological height in that data center was we had a bunch of Spectrologic tape libraries. They were they were their their I think they call them they started calling them tree frogs. We didn't call them that, but basically they were like I don't know how many U is that like three U high mm -hmm. something like that. And inside was a carousel and there were, I think, four DDS tape drives in that carousel. And then the robot rotated like in the middle. It didn't have to move. It just rotated mm -hmm. and it would take a it would take a tape from a slot on that carousel and then slightly rotate and then put that tape in the tape drive. And then there was a door on the front that was basically the ejection port, yeah. right? Uh, similar, uh, you know, fancier, more expensive units, like from storage tech, you, again, you, you had a robot that was in the middle that would turn around and it would grab the tapes and put them in the tape drive. But then you actually had like, um, you had a, a, a cartridge. I don't know what the, I don't know what we called that, but basically there was this unit that sat in the door that the robot could actually put like 10 tapes mm. in that, in that removable carrier. I don't, I don't remember what we called it. And we'd take it out and there would be like 10 tapes in that. And then you could, you could move that around as a unit. Um, but, but basically the principle was the same that you, you had a robot that moved the tapes around and then you had the ability to eject specific tapes. And the way we did it again, proper backup design, you always have two copies. So we would make a backup copy to tapes that were in that tape library and then we would copy those tapes or those backups to other tapes, which then at the end of the night, we would then spit those tapes out into that ejection port. And then we would have, uh, if I could, I don't remember how many tapes it was, but it, I, I know that it fit in like a, a storage box. bin that was like <laughs> six inch. What's that? Like I was going to say like a cardboard box. No, no, it was a plastic. It was like one of those plastic yeah, things totes. with the lids yeah. that that, yeah. 
the, the yeah the totes that the, the lid is like part of the yeah. unit right so you, you'd open it up you'd put the tapes in uh i don't even think we um i mean you would put the tapes inside there was a a holder mm-hmm. that each tape was held. So that kept the tape itself physically secure. And then you put those tapes inside a, um, this, this tote. And then you would, um, we had a barcode scanner mm-hmm. and I, I don't know. So I'll just stop there. Cause this is, you know, it's kind of a long story. So does any of that, <laughs> did you learn anything from any of that? Yeah. You basically had two copies and, they were never always in the device itself that was easily accessible. It was kind of stored separately. And then you had one copy separated out that you could keep somewhere else if you decided to move it off site or whatever else you wanted to do with it. Right, right. So th- again, the key is, again, separate these two copies as mm-hmm. much as you can. So we would put those copies and, and every tape had a barcode and we had a barcode scanner and we had a database that um, it was an Informix database. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we had a custom built app where I could scan all of the barcodes of all of the tapes that were going into today's tote. And then that would create like a pick list. And um, that would, well, it's not really a pick list, but it, it was a list of the tapes that, that were going in today's tote. And then that list would go in the, 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 the tote. And then we had a guy from Iron Mountain. Um, sometimes the guy was was a girl, right? <laughs> so it wasn't always wasn't it was always a, man a man in the van. Sometimes it was a woman. Yeah, it was. A, but it, yeah, we used the term "man in the van." There was a man in the van that came and picked up our tapes, and they would um, they would scan the tapes like as they're picking them up. So we had like receipt. We had like an electronic receipt that they had picked up our tapes. And then when they got to the actual physical location, by the way, here's a little piece of trivia. How do you, it's a, it's a trick question, really. How do you spot Iron Mountain vans with tapes in them? The giant logo on the side? No. See, I told you it was a trick question. If Iron Mountain, oh, if, I, if you have, have vans that have the Iron Mountain logo, that has paper inside. Yeah. The the tape, the, the vans Unmarked. that transported media did not have, they were not branded at all. <clears throat> and then they would go to the Iron Mountain facility. And then the, the you could, there, there were two ways to do it. We did it the more secure way. You could put a barcode on the tote and just not let them open the tote. Mm-hmm. But what we did was we had them open the tote and then scan each barcode into a shelf that it, it had a slot, mm. right? And they would scan like there was a barcode next to the slot, you know, and, and then, then there was a barcode the on the tape, and so, they would scan it. So they could, they could, we could say we need, we need tape number, you know, ABC one two three, and they had a computer that would tell them exactly where that was in the vault, and they could yeah. send us just that tape. Because the other way is if you needed a tape that was in a particular tote, you had to bring back the entire tote. So they would scan in each of these tapes. And then we got an electric, we had an electronic connection to, it was very cutting edge really for, for, for early nineties, but we had uh, an electronic connection to Iron Mountain. We would get notification that tapes had been scanned in. Mm -hmm. And then we had a system that would um, 
basically double check their list of tapes that have been scanned in to our list of tapes that they should have scanned in. Mm. And one time out of a thousand, There's there a might be a discrepancy. Mm. There would be a missing uh, tape. And it was always found, but it was, it was you know, the, the, we, we were notified immediately that they did not know where one of our tapes were. So again, the, the principle there is to find out the problem before you need to take Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Right. Um, that, that's pretty cool, don't you think? Like yeah. all that stuff that we did back in the day? Yes, and I would not want to be the person maintaining that system of just <laughs> data transfer back and forth and trying to keep these things in sync. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, they had the reverse process when they would they had to scan the tapes out of their vault into a tote, and then and then we would scan them back into our system, right? And then they just the, the barcodes didn't change. The barcode was part of the actual tape, and then um, it would just go into the essentially back into a drawer, um, reused or whatever else, and then reused, right? And the 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 key and and then the other part, and I think I think I've talked to you about this before, is we then did pen testing against our own vault. Oh yeah. Right. So that's that's penetration testing. So we did physical penetration testing. We uh would send people that weren't authorized to be in the vault to go over to the vault to see if they could get in. They always, they always had some crazy story. Yeah. Um, and we, you know, we had rules. It was like, you, you just can't, you can't ever let someone who isn't on the list yeah. into the vault. Right. Um, and we would concoct stories yeah. to why they need to be in there. Um, of why we need to be there. So we would either send a person who wasn't authorized to be there, or we would send somebody that they knew like me and I'm over there with this massive, inconvenient, like, pick list. And it's going to take hours, uh, you know, and it's one tape, you know, out of, you know. And the idea was what I'm trying to get them to do is to leave me alone in the vault mm. with other people's media. <laughs> <laughs> um, that never happened. I'm, That's I'm glad, good. I'm glad that, not, that never happened. Um and we didn't ever, I, I, as I recall, like our, our, none of our pen tests ever actually worked, right? But we, but we, but we always you did tried. it on a, on yeah. a semi-regular basis, yeah. Um, but the, um, I'm just trying to think if there's anything, any element of that that you know. And so when we needed a tape, we sent an electronic request. I think we we could probably call. We yeah. could probably call and we could say, hey, we need tape. We need tape ABC one two three. And they would um, they would then bring that 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 tape back. Um, I will say that this process was not perfect. Mm -hmm. I, I think our process was as good as it could have been. We knew when our tapes got scanned in. We knew when our tapes got scanned out. We knew when they were in transit. We knew, um, you know, we we just basically knew. And and there were glitches where sometimes there would be a tape that would be in limbo. Yeah, and it always got found. Right. Um, not everybody had that level of integration. Um, what's that? Integration, sophistication. 
Yeah, sophistication, I think, would be a great word because sometimes, especially people that went by the tote method, right? They just put a bunch of tapes in the tote. They don't really have any tracking for individual tapes. I remember um, at a consulting company that I used to work at that they got a box of tapes um, from a leading media management storage company <laughs> and it, it wasn't their tapes oh and no. and then they called their rep for this company and the rep like typed and said you know looked up the, like the barcodes of the tapes and whatnot and uh the rep said uh yeah i don't know who those tapes are you can go ahead and keep them and use what? them Wow. So like I said, it wasn't perfect. Uh, So you could misconfigure things back then, just like you misconfigure things now. But the the key takeaway here is that when the feces hits the rotary oscillator, the, the, the tapes, the backups were in a physically separate location using a completely different authentication and authorization system, right? You couldn't hack them to save your life. There was no way, there was literally no process to like send an electronic request to have those tapes, to anything to be done with those tapes. It was always a human could, in the way. Could, could they not, sorry, could a mischievous hacker... Mm-hmm fake up an electronic request to request all your tapes back? They could, but those requests were always verified in person. Ah, okay. They were very, they were very, very rare. Anything, anything outside of the tapes coming back at their normal expiration date. Mm-hmm. Is that, that's what I was describing earlier was, yeah. you know, we had like a six week retention at six weeks a box would come back and we would send them a new box. So yeah. we had six weeks worth of, of tapes over there. Anything outside of that was really, really rare. It's an exception. And, case and- uh, had all yeah. kinds of controls put around it to make sure that a single rogue employee uh, can't do what, you know, uh, again, you had, you know, what, what, you know, we call it um, like four eyes, mm-hmm. um, authentication yeah. you, know, you had to have two people do it and and things like that um but the the key here it's just that we talk about th- this phrase air gap just gets thrown around uh so much and so i just i thought it would be interesting to just say that is the standard by which i am measuring something that is calling itself an air gap which i think totally makes sense now i have a question though for yeah, so imagine that you weren't shipping the tapes off to Iron Mountain, mm-hmm. right? You had your tape library. Mm-hmm. It was creating tapes. It would pull the tape out, put it in a separate spot. Do you consider that mm-hmm. air gapped, or based on your no, definition because of it's what in it- the same? Because it's in the same place as the primary. Gotcha. If it's just pulled out, if it's just. Like uh, if let's say, cause I, I've seen people do this, they've got two robots mm-hmm. 
And uh, I remember like having um, some people would have a tape library in this building and a tape library in this building. And they had a fiber channel SAN. And so they had enough bandwidth that they could copy from this tape library to that tape library. And they thought of that as an air gap. And I'm like, I can sit here on my keyboard and delete every one of those tapes over in that tape library. That's not an air gap. Yeah. So the reason I bring this up is I think going back to what you're saying, a lot of people think air gap just means no physical connectivity. It's offline. It's not Mm -hmm. accessible. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think what you're saying is that's part of the definition. But really, the other part is you have the controls in place. You have a separate sort of communications channel and to be able to pull the data back and other things like that. Right. Yeah. So, you know, you and I were joking about little Indian and big Indian, <laughs> the, uh, which is spelled with an E, by the way, for those that don't know what that is. Uh, this is like that. It was like a little air gap and a big air gap. Yeah. <laughs> so like a, a true air gap means that it's somewhere else. Yeah. Right. Um, not just a six inch gap of air sitting in a drawer. Yeah. Again, I would have no problem with having tapes sitting there in a drawer, like if you don't have a big enough tape library and you've got tapes that are, that's your on-prem copy, but your other copy needs to be in another location. I'm just wondering though, like industry definition, I know this is Curtis's definition of what an air gap is to solve the problems that existed back in the nineties. Industry terms though today, do you think that the industry follows that same terminology or that same thought when they think about an air gap because i would say that most people at least like when i heard the term air gap right it was really around that there's no direct access connectivity to the data so if Mm -hmm. you are so i've seen some vendors who would say look i don't have any like one uh thing is like a skiff right a secure right. compute right. infrastructure framework whatever it is right it's basically a secure environment yeah. where there's no connectivity to outside right and they call yeah, that I, an error you know in terms of, yeah in in terms of you know industry definition there's basically two groups of people in the industry there's vendors and then there's people like me <laughs> right no one like me would define an air gap the way that you're talking about, okay. right? I mean, maybe, you know, we, we, we could talk about an, an air gapped system that is sitting there in the data center that isn't physically connected to anything. But then what's the point of it? I, I <laughs> Well, I, I knew an air gap system. Uh, well, it wasn't actually air gapped. It was just, again, electronically air gapped. Uh, when I did work uh, for the large internet retail company, uh, their, their payment processing system was air-gapped in a lot of ways, yeah. right? But it's still, in order to work, it, it's it wasn't actually air-gapped. Yeah. It was just, right. But uh, I couldn't talk to it in, in any other way. Yeah. Well, and I think that's important because as our listeners are probably trying to read vendor brochures and other things and trying to understand, like, what is air gap versus what's not? Because a lot of vendors, like you said, throw out the term, oh, we're air gapped, right? So I right. think it's important to so, understand why you need air gapping, right? And what problems you it is solving for. So then you can evaluate, is it truly an air gap or not? And I think you gave a good example earlier on yeah. in this episode about, hey, here's why, what air gap solved for me. Yeah, so I, I think that, 
a properly designed backup and DR system, one of the copies needs to be in um, another physical location and it needs to be air-gapped and separated from the primary in as many ways as possible. I'm not asking anybody, and I know some people still make tape copies and I, I have no problem with that, but I'm not asking large companies to start going out and buying big tape libraries and, and copying it. Although I'm sure our friends at, at you know, IBM and Spectrologic <laughs> and all these companies and Fujifilm would be very, very happy for you to do that. Um, I'm just saying that we, we take that as a standard, this physically separate place where I have to go through a different process. Uh, and again, the, the, the principles to take away from that are that normal tape rotation was fine. That just happened. Normal retention, of, right? Yeah, normal, which basically it, yeah. in modern day term would be normal retention. Backups being deleted automatically by your backup system after your retention period expires should just happen. Where the alarms should go off and the protection uh, goes up is when you're transferring those backups back or deleting those backups prior to any other normal uh, time frame. And we have to protect against that in as many ways as possible and as many ways as as you can that we're like what we used to do, yeah. right? Um, and again, you look at so I so I thought it'd be great to revisit this this the the news here from the the UK. And again, this is from the National Cyber Security Center. By the way, cyber spelled with an E-E-R, but center is with an R-E. I don't know what's that about. <laughs> anyway, so. Uh, do you, you want to tackle the first principle? Yeah. So the first principle is backups should be resilient to destructive actions, which I think is what you just said, right? So you want to yeah. make sure that anytime you are trying to delete the backup after it's been created before the retention policy goes off, right? You want to make sure that that's not allowed. Um, and then the other thing that they also mention is offering a soft delete mechanism where yep. it sort of it goes away the system thinks it goes away but it still exists and this allows you to recover in case you actually need it um right and then if you are doing any deletion or alteration request right you delay the implementation of it so if someone says hey i want to delete everything older than 30 days you don't allow that to happen for say two weeks as right. well as alerting when that happens the, the other thing that's part of that is the, the forbidding destructive requests, mm. right, from customer accounts. What I like here is all, so here's a phrase I'm reading from this, all exceptional destructive requests, again, going back to what I said before, things out of the norm, all exceptional destructive requests must be authorized out of band using a pre-agreed upon mechanism between the customer and the backup service. So it's okay to create a backup system that allows that allows for this, but it needs to not just be somebody pointing and clicking, right? Yeah. Something issuing an API call and then the, the data just gets deleted. It needs to be a conversation between two people that know each other. And you can you can put all of the protections again, just like the protections that I talked about back then. 
you can say, hey, I have this, I have this security phrase. I, you know, you can have multiple security phrases. And I, I need to give you the name of my dog that's named after a Indian sweet treat. Or you could say Curtis is Guapo. <laughs> Curtis Guapo, yeah. Um, I remember, uh, I remember my, uh, when we had, when we had a, uh, an arm, a security company for the, for the house here, mm-hmm. I remember that our passcode was Lumpia. <laughs> um, that was, that was our security passphrase. Like when you, if you had a, a false alarm, this was the, everything's fine. And they're like, what is your passcode? And you're like, Lumpia. And they're like, okay. Um, and yeah, there, there could also be a distress code, which our, our passcode is, I don't know. I don't know. Some other thing, but yeah, it's out of band. And again, because of AI, because of the ability to mimic speech and uh, you need to have, you know, multiple, you need to basically do things that can't be, that aren't stored digitally anywhere that can't be stolen and then used against you. Yeah. So you need a, you need a passcode, right? Um, Don't leave the passcode in your email box. Don't exactly right. Well, don't ever, don't ever put it. Don't ever put it in your email box, right? Um, just oh, have, here's a question. A conversation with a real person. Yeah. So I know we've talked about password managers in the past. Mm-hmm. Would you put that passphrase in your password manager? Mm. Um, I might. I would say um, no. <laughs> yeah, you. Uh, yeah, we can have a separate conversation about that. But you you shouldn't. Yeah. It's just a question of it's the whole like this is like that episode that we had of like how do you do things when you when you've lost everything, yeah. right? Um, you need it. You need a fail safe place, right? Um, all right, we could talk about that all day. Yeah. So the next thing is a backup system shouldn't be configured so that it's possible to deny all customer access. Um, and what this, the way I'm interpreting this is making sure that if Active Directory in your site goes down, you don't lose um, access to your backup system because it's using Active Directory. Yeah. Or if the customer is able to compromise your policies, right? You want to make sure it's not all tied to a single account. Exactly. And we've talked about this quite a bit. Yeah. Please don't use Active Directory. Um, you know, as your password management system for for critical infrastructure like this, the, um, the we we had, by the way, you you may recall when when we had that that person that had a dr scenario, right? Mm-hmm. And they were in an island in the in, you know um, Caribbean. Remember, we we didn't say the island; it was the island in the Caribbean yeah. that they went there after a hurricane. And one of the problems I had was that their backup systems relied on Active Directory that was mm-hmm. where in the mainland, yep, which they had no connectivity yeah. to. So, yeah, so don't do that. Right, yeah. that's principle two. Yeah. You want to talk about principle? Yeah, so three? principle three is making sure that you can restore from a backup version, even if other versions are corrupted. And this is like we've talked about, right? You get hit with ransomware; it's going to start corrupting data. Right. And you might not notice it for 20 days. And so you want to make sure that you can go back and restore from a version, right? Even though the newer versions are old. So making sure that you have a way to uh, keep those backup versions. I know in a previous episode, we talked about replication and why replication is not great for backups. 
right? right. So making yeah. sure that you have that, making sure there's a mechanism to test. I know that's been one of the things that we always talk about is verify your backups because a non-verified backup is useless. <laughs> this is one that to me as a backup person, I'm saying, well, yeah, duh, but, <laughs> but, but not everybody has versions in their backup. Yeah. Your backup has to have versions, right? It, it can't be just a replicated copy of the most recent transactions. It's got to have the ability to go back in time. Yep. And, and this is more, more true now than ever before. Yep. You've got to be able to go because they could, they could corrupt both your primary and your backup copy. Yep. And so just make sure you have that. And then also make sure you have a retention period, right? Or say that you are going to store a fixed number of backups right. based on time rather than right. number of backups, right? So instead rather of saying- just number of versions, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. just be flexible in having different storage policies. Not everything needs to be kept for the same amount of time, right? And just say, okay, I don't need all my copies to be stored for six years or six months even. Maybe I only need dailies for a month, and then after that, I can do weeklies. So allow these flexible policies because that'll make it more flexible and allow you to keep data for longer periods of time as well. Exactly. Uh, the next principle is robust key management for data at rest protection is in use. So yeah, if it's backups, it needs to be encrypted and you need a robust key management system that allows you to do things like rotate keys, delete keys. Um, also, they talk about offering an out of band uh, key backup option, right? There are companies that will actually do key escrow for you. Mm -hmm. And this is, again, that you need a doomsday copy of that. You need a, you, you need the, the way to basically bring in a key management system. Again, think about everything going wrong. <laughs> and again, when your primary goes down, you don't want your cloud backup system, for example, to rely on the key management system in your data center. Yep. That would be bad. <laughs> um yeah, that would be bad. So, so that, that's a relatively easy one. Go ahead. So going back to a previous story you told about that company you worked for that ended up getting the wrong tote of tapes. Yeah. Did they ever check the tapes to see if they were the data was encrypted? I didn't get the probably not back in that time frame. Okay. Right. So yeah. Um, so even if you are using tapes, make sure you encrypt your data. It shouldn't just be yeah, for exactly. the cloud copies. And I will say encryption done properly um, doesn't slow down your backups. Yeah. So um, the last one. So uh, by the way, oh, what, I will say this: dedupe then encrypt. Don't encrypt yeah. then dedupe. Because <laughs> <laughs> dedupe works by looking for patterns. Encryption works by getting rid of them. Yes. So uh, you got to do that in the right order. Yeah. All right. Final principle here is alerts. Right. This is super important that whenever significant changes are made, that you have some alerting mechanism so you understand what's going on. Significant could be things like someone went and added a new user or they're trying to change the retention policy. You want to make sure that you can catch these as early as you can to make sure that there's nothing funky going on in your environment. The, the key here is, you know, just when something out of band or out out of the norm is happening, especially when it's a high risk thing like deleting backups or restores. Yeah. I I don't know how you know how you've seen it, but 
I nobody restores anything, right? I mean, I mean, it's like we make all these backups, and they very, very rarely restore data. And so, when a restore kicks off, that should be a high risk alert that is going off, saying, "Danger, Will Robinson! Danger! No, Will Robinson! Danger!" Hey there is this restore going on and you're all like, oh yeah, yeah, we're doing the restore, the thing, it's everything's fine. But if you see this big alert that's going on, there's a big old restore going on and no one knows who's kicked off the restore, you can do something about it at that point, yeah. right? Um, there was, um, you know, we had uh, a cyber expert on the podcast a couple months ago and he talked, remember how he said he loves backup systems? Yep. Because <laughs> he loves to use them to to steal data, we're like, oh, that's really depressing. But I think I think another one that they call out that I think doesn't get enough focus is people stopping backups. Yes, yes. Right. In addition, right? Um, because yeah, agreed. Yeah, a lot of ransomware actors they'll stop your backups, and you may not realize it for fifteen days, and by then you don't have any good backups left because your old backups have already expired. Yeah, that's a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up. The because a lot of the reporting that's built in is they tell you when a backup is done. They don't tell you when a backup didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you want to have you want to have. Um, uh, reporting kickoff when something like yeah. that happens, stopping your backups because they can stop your backups for let's say a week if they if they're able to do that and uh, and then they can corrupt your data that you know and your oldest copy is a week ago you know you're gonna you're gonna lose data yeah you're gonna lose data or um, you're probably going to be more willing to pay the ransom right right so uh, again I I am not only am I not against cloud copies of data I really like cloud copies of the data. Um, I, I, I want us to be careful with the term air gap. I want to make sure, are you doing all of these things? How are you mimicking the question? The overarching question is how am I mimicking what Curtis did with a box of tapes and iron mountain back 30 years ago? That is the standard by which your backups should be measured in terms of protecting them because they were protected without doing it on purpose. We were, we were protecting it both from natural disasters as well as hacks. It's just back then, the hacks were very, very uncommon. So, uh, but now the hacks are the primary reason that we're doing restores. So this might be a controversial question and we don't have to answer it. Okay. Based on everything you've said and what you're looking to solve mm -hmm. with air gaps, would you call cloud data protection vendors air gapped? I think that again, have they separated their data from your data? So I'll, I'll just say this. At best, at best, I'm going to call all of these guys electronically air-gapped or virtually air-gapped. None of them are actually air-gapped, okay? Um, because they're all running in a computer that's connected to something. Yep. That's that's a that's a, that's the only real air gap. So at best I'm going to call them virtually air gap. And so it's it's a standard by which we measure something. And so my question is how close to you are that? Yeah. Do you have a separate authentication and authorization system, right? Do you have do you have the ability to to delete backups like 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 
does the does the hacker have the ability to delete backups? Do you have the, you know all the all the principles that they talk about here? I think if you're following, if they're following the principles found in here, I, I think they could be called virtually air gapped. The, the 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 problem is not all of them do. Yeah. Right. Um, and the if you look at the the question is, can I electronically you know delete a bunch of stuff? without any checks in place. Yeah. Right. Um, And, and if that stuff gets deleted, is it really deleted? Uh, Can I get it back? Uh, What kind of multi-factor authentication system do you have in place? Do you have things like multi-person authentication for big actions? Like I like the multi-person, some people call it four eyes. Uh, I like the multi-person, the multi-system authentication um, you know, again, speaking of standards, it's like the missile key thing, yeah. right? It's not possible for one person to turn both missile keys. So you, you, you add in all those things. And if you've got all those protection, I think I'd be fine with calling them virtually air gapped. Um, but some of them don't have those systems just because they're cloud doesn't mean they're doing all these things. <laughs> in fact, there's a reason that the UK government came out with these principles and that's because they're not always followed. Yeah. So, well, hopefully that was helpful to some people. <laughs> and, uh, and we'll throw links to I the article we, in the show description. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great article. Uh, by the way, I think, I think what we should do next is what, what actually immutable is. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's another one that we talk about. All right. Well, uh, thanks Prasanna, for your, uh, your wisdom as always. I try, Curtis, and thank you for the educational lesson on uh, from the, air gap from back in the day. Yes. <laughs> and always thanks to our listeners. That's a wrap. The backup wrap up is written, recorded, and produced by me, W. Curtis Preston. If you need backup or DR consulting, content generation, or expert witness work, check out BackupCentral.com. You can also find links for my O'Reilly books on the same website. Remember, this is an independent podcast, and any opinions that you hear are those of the speaker and not necessarily an employer. Thanks for listening.